This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon, the small book of Philemon, I'll just put this shameless plug in here. If your church... As you're turning in the Bible there, if your church is considering involvement in a jail ministry or considering partnering with the jail ministry, I'd love to talk with you at some point today. Many of you guys have been at some fellowships with you, and I'm thankful for that. Um, I'm really excited to be here this week as a missionary of Good News Baptist Church, uh, that they support me in my ministry. Um, it's really cool to be a part of a missions conference where a couple of the guys went to my undergrad, went through my undergrad with me. Um, I wish that I had gotten to know them a little better during my undergrad, but um, that is just something special to be a part of. Um, Brett P. over here, him and I went through seminary together. One T. One, one T. Brett with one T. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, that was how we were distinguished in class. Brett and Brett. So, uh, so Brett and I uh, went through seminary together. And it's, it's very, um, it's a blessing when you can do ministry with those who you've trained for ministry with. And that's a, a great thing I'm very grateful for. So in the book of Philemon, we come across three individuals in our text this morning. When I read this to you, and I'm sure you remember this whole book by heart, when I read to you this book of Philemon, first we're going to come across an individual who is unjustly imprisoned. And he is at odds with the civil authority because of his righteous actions. Second, we're going to come across an individual, if justice is served, should be imprisoned and who is at odds with the civil authorities because of some sort of unlawful actions on his part. And third, we're going to come across an individual who evidently still maintains an upright and respectable position in society, and who is, at the least, a major sponsor for the church in Colossae and the work of Paul. Consider which character you might most identify with this morning. Obviously, none of you are unlawfully in prison because you're here this morning. And I hope the law is not after any of you. I'm sure Pastor Asher would offer you some counseling if you're having legal issues right now. But I hope that's none of your case. For the majority of us this morning, we're in the position of someone like Philemon, where we, for the most part maintain a respectable position in society, and we are not at odds with our civil authority. And so I believe that this text can give us some things to consider this morning. The reason that I studied the book of Philemon was actually several months ago, I got introduced to this training or a workshop called Onesimus Training, or the Onesimus Workshop. I was looking for programs or things that would help me as I tried to equip churches for re-entering citizens from jail into their churches. 
And so this workshop presented as the mode, as a biblical mode for helping churches reintegrate former offenders or those who are deal still dealing with offenses, the character of Onesimus from Scripture. So I said, well, I need to find out for myself what the text is saying what is the message for the church? What was Paul asking Philemon to do in the book of Philemon? There's a lot in this little book that we could benefit from. Um, but for the sake of time, I'm going to just point out some imperatives that Paul had for Philemon and the appeal that Paul had for Philemon. Some background and context to this text is that Paul's likely imprisoned in Rome when he's writing this letter. Uh, written from Paul to Philemon, who is likely a successful, well-to-do leader in the church at Colossae. In verse 2, we'll find that we'll be introduced to two other characters, Aphia and Archippus, who could very well be his wife and son. In verse 2, we also find that their home was the meeting place for the church. This is the only genuinely personal letter or person-to-person However, the larger community is within the context and scope of this message. Most likely delivered to the church at Colossae along with the letter of Colossians. We have a mention in Colossians 3.9 of Onesimus that most likely is the same individual that we're talking about in the text here today. Follow along as I read the 25 verses of this book. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints." that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore thou, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in my stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved." especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. 
Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say, but withal prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in, in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we consider just a few thoughts from this text this morning, I pray that it would impress upon our hearts the importance of receiving those who might be at odds with the civil government or who might even have failed in their responsibilities towards us. Thank you for this little book. Thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I speak. May it come from the Lord and not from a man. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I read this letter, I, I immediately have two questions that I feel like I need to answer uh, to help me understand where this book is coming from and where it's going. My first question is, how did Paul encounter Onesimus? How did Paul encounter Onesimus? I think this is an important question. Uh, and you'll see that I think there's three viable options. Option number one, we hear this often, is that Onesimus simply ran away or, and uh, ran into Paul as a runaway slave. So there's some sort of chance encounter, and I'm not denying the sovereignty of God, but in, the, in, in speaking of in human terms, he had some sort of chance encounter with Paul. I don't really go with this theory because if he was simply seeking asylum, uh, he would have made, it would have made more sense for Onesimus to go to a place like the temple in Ephesus uh, dedicated to Artemis. And that was a place where slaves could go if they had an issue with their master and the priest there would advocate for them or grant them asylum. This was a common thing to take place in their day. And number two, I, I don't think that I would have, if, if you're on the run from the law, the first place that I'm going to go, is, the, the last place I'm going to go is the nearest jail or prison. And if, if Onesimus had gotten caught by the law, he was the rightful property of Philemon and would have been returned to him right away. So uh, I, I don't really run with that option. Option number two did Philemon perhaps send Onesimus away to serve for Paul after he had deemed him useless? We see that play in words in verse 13, where Paul says, He was once useless to you, but now is useful. So we know the name Onesimus meant useful. Uh, and so Paul maybe was making a play in words. And uh, the, perhaps in verse 15 where he says, Perhaps he therefore departed for a season um, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Um, with the context of what Paul's discussing about the amount that might be owed to Philemon and the, the, the seriousness of the case against Onesimus, it doesn't seem that Philemon would have just sent him off to be dealt with by Paul. That would have been putting a huge burden on Paul, seeing that this guy had a whole weight of irresponsibility as his history 
would tell. So uh, the option number three, which I think is the most viable option, is this. Is that, as mentioned before, it was a common occurrence for a runaway to seek somebody to be their mediator. So my theory, and what I believe that many other theologians would agree with me as well, is that, that Onesimus sought out Paul particularly to be his mediator between him and Philemon. It was a common occurrence in this time for a slave who has a misunderstanding with his master or who has violated his master's trust in some way to seek out a friendly third party. Onesimus likely sought Paul out, who was in a loose house arrest at this time. I don't think this was Paul's final arrest, I think this was one of Paul's house arrest situations where he had a little bit more freedom about who could come and who could go. And so therefore, a visit by Onesimus could, could be something that could have happened very realistically. Where Onesimus could have sought an audience with Paul and said, I need him as a mediator. I need his help. He has good friends with my master, and I'm hoping he can help settle this dispute. So my conclusions about the first question are this. Whatever the exact circumstance is about Onesimus and Paul meeting, Paul's relationship with Onesimus was gospel-focused, love-saturated, and ecclesiastically directed. From the very beginning, when Paul and Onesimus began to have whatever these meetings looked like, they were gospel-focused. Paul says in verse 10, I am his spiritual father. In other words, Paul didn't waste time getting to the crux of the matter. He got right to the gospel with this guy, Onesimus. We know that when Onesimus came to him, he was unsaved. When Onesimus left, he was a brother in Christ. In verse 12, he says, he says, I'm sending to you my own heart, love saturated. He fell in love with this guy. And then finally, he said to receive him as a brother, ecclesiastically directed. He directs Onesimus back to the fellowship of the church, back to restoration with his master, and back to restoration for the church. This letter, being me meaning to be read to the entire church there at Colossae, would have meant that the entire church was to understand that this restoration was to take place. That was very important in understanding the purpose for this letter. So, don't knock jailhouse religion. In God's providence, many individuals who seek a salve for their guilt find themselves seated at the throne of grace. Many individuals who want to talk to a chaplain, who want to talk to their local pastor, are seeking a salve for their guilt. They want their guilt to be appeased or to be taken away, but we can offer them the gospel of Jesus Christ. My second question is, what exactly is Paul asking Philemon to do? So in order to determine that, we need to look at a couple key elements of the letter. Paul's beseeching of Philemon in verses 9 and 10 is a strong encouragement towards an appropriate response to a believer who had not fulfilled his responsibilities towards him. 
Onesimus had failed in his responsibilities towards Philemon. Whatever the social or economic situation of the day, Onesimus was a failure. He had broken requirements of him set by society and set by his master. With this letter, we are given insight into how the church was expected to navigate the unique social, cultural expectations of the first century setting. Think through this with me, brothers. We live in a society that has unique social and cultural expectations. Even your church has unique social expectations. Our neighborhoods have unique social expectations. And we deal with people every week who have failed us. Maybe some of us are sitting here this morning that we have failed somebody who we have expectations that we should be meeting towards. And we hope that there is grace when it comes to their handling with us, correct? The small book of Philemon might just give us some help in navigating how we can respond to especially a new believer who may not have fulfilled or who is struggling to fulfill social or cultural expectations. There's no content in this letter that tells me Onesimus is fully and completely repentant. Why doesn't Paul spell that out for Philemon? He just says, take him as a brother. It's interesting. It's interesting. We need to note that. Paul's appeals in verses 8 through 16 and then his commands in verses 17 through 22 sets before the church a very serious question. How are you dealing with the pre-regenerate baggage of a new or young believer? How do we deal with the pre-regenerate baggage of a new or young believer? Those are the most difficult people that are going to walk through those doors. Those who weren't raised in Christian homes, who don't know the conversation style of the church, who don't know the dress style of the church, who don't know how to, uh, they might not even bring the appropriate translation to your church service. How do you deal with the baggage of those new believers as they walk through that door? I think Paul has given Philemon some help here. We're thankful for that. This is truly an explosive writing from Paul. I believe that Paul craftily positions his apostolic authority in such a way as to shake the fabric of the church's fellowship. This letter is calling for a behavior amongst believers that is against the status quo. Lock him up, throw away the key. He's guilty. He must have done something wrong. Make him pay. Our society can't stand for somebody who doesn't serve his time. Brothers, I'm not against serving justice or having somebody repay their debt to society in so many words. I'm not against that. But I have a responsibility to preach what the, gospel, what the book of Philemon here is saying. We're looking at a marvelously crafted mediation, a mediation that appeals to a very foundational aspect of the church's formation and Christ's design for the church. 
He didn't call us to be a nation. He called us to be the church. We might live in a nation. And, and, and praise the Lord if we can rejoice in the foundation of our nation. But as the church, how are we to function? How are we to mediate for these people? How are we to help them? Christ's design for the church is for unity and restoration. Let me remind you of Christ's high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. That they might be one. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved, hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Unity and restoration are evidence of the fact that the Messiah has accomplished his work and loves his sheep. Ephesians 4.32, after a discourse on the unity in the church, early in the chapter, Paul makes this appeal. Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, unless the person has stolen from you over a thousand dollars. Unless the person has violated his neighbor. Unless the person has... Uh, a, a criminal record that's longer than my sermon notes. No. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, even to those who are hard to be tenderhearted and forgiving and loving. Paul's appeal to Philemon within this letter is strongly related to the reality of a shared common faith amongst believers. So number one, and I'm going to move through these quickly, we're, we're going to look at the foundation for Paul's appeal. Verses 4 through 7, I believe, are the foundation for Paul's appeal, particularly in verse 6, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This is actually somewhat difficult of a passage to not only translate, but to understand what exactly is he trying to say here. The English word communication is actually a good, is a good translation, as long as we have a good understanding of what that English word communication means. It's an old word, and it, and it goes all the way back to French and Latin, meaning simply to make common. Okay, Communication and making a speech are two, different, two very different things. If I make a speech, I'm simply telling you something. If I'm communicating, I'm ensuring that you and I are on the same page. From the text, we're examining the word koinos, meaning common. In linguistics, a koine language is the standard or the common dialect. The first time we see this word in our Greek New Testament is Acts 2.42, which you all will be very familiar with. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. There's our word. Daniel Wallace says of this text in Acts 2.42, either this pattern of worship was well known in the early church because it was the common manner in which it was done, or Luke was attempting to convey that each element of the worship was the only one deserving of the name, or the par excellence. I think it was the pattern of worship was the common manner in which it was done. It might be something like if I said something like this. And the laborers continued in the farmer's practice of tilling the soil, planting the seed, and harvesting the crop. In other words, if you took one of those elements away, they're no longer following in the practice of farming. You take away the practice of fellowship, you take away the unity of believers, 
and you're no longer following in the apostles' doctrine and teaching. Seems most likely that if the early church had removed this idea of commonality or fellowship, they would have ceased being the disciples of the apostles. In verses 4 through 7 of our text, Paul bring this, brings this to the forefront. Uh, James Dunn says, Paul had no desire to promote the idea of religious faith as something private, that which a person enjoys alone and practices as a separate individual. The communication of your faith means that when I meet somebody else who is a blood-bought child of God, who has put their faith in Christ, him and I automatically have something in common that we can rejoice over. Irregardless of his background, irregardless of how he looks, irregardless of his language, irregardless of his culture, him and I can rejoice in the common faith that we have. That is what it is calling us to. Gospel values are the most significant factor in how Philemon is to relate to other people in his culture. Paul had already addressed that. Paul already praised him for that. Paul said, Philemon, you're doing a great job. Here's one more thing. Number two, we're going to look at the force of Paul's commands. Paul appeals to Philemon's commitment to Christian thinking and is confident that this will appropriately govern his relationships. There are four commands. You can find them where he uses the imperative in verse 17, 18, 20, and 22. We only have time to consider the first two, which I think are very significant for us. I'd love at some point to work through every verse of Philemon, but there, we just don't have time for it this morning. The first imperative that we find in the text is in verse 17, where he commands him to welcome him or receive him. Receive him as myself. It's what grammarians call a first-class condition, something that is assumed true for the sake of argument. Paul switches from appeal mode and is now gently saying, in an imperative force, Philemon, receive him. He is predicating this command on the force of his arguments made previously. We need to clarify a couple things here. Number one, receive him out of response to the gospel, verses 8 through 13. Not only Onesimus' response to the gospel, but your response to the gospel. Receive him because you both have come to faith in Christ and the gospel. Receive him as a brother. He says, disregard Onesimus' social status. See him as your brother in the Lord. We've already talked about the play on words, the who was once worthless to you, but now useful to you, literally. To you and to me, he is useful. The greater context of the church, to us, he is useful. We must get this, brothers. We need to get this. There was something about Onesimus being joined with and in fellowship with Philemon and the church at Colossae that amplified the church as people reconciled by the blood of Jesus. The presence of Onesimus 
amplifies the church. Don't ever demean the value of restoration. Don't ever demean the value of one person's presence in the community. If we have forsaken the doctrine of fellowship with anybody, for things that Scripture does not designate as worthy reasons for separation, then we have ignored the doctrine of regeneration. Scripture gives us reasons to forsake assembling with certain people. I don't need to teach that or preach that to this crowd. We understand that. And I'm not against separation. But if it's if it's out, if it does not fall within biblical guidelines for separation from a brother, if we if we do not find ourselves fellowshipping with them, we've ignored the doctrine of regeneration. First Corinthians verse five, verse seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? We don't want to ignore that teaching. Second imperative is found in verses 18 and 19. Paul says, put that on mine account or charge it to me. These are two of the more difficult verses uh, would, would, to, to kind of understand what he's saying here. I mean, would, would Philemon really charge Paul? Right? Can you see this? Paul showing up in Colossae, Philemon walking up to him in front of the church. All right, Paul, pay up. <laughs> Was, Paul, was Paul's expectation here that Philemon would ignore any pre-regenerate outstanding debt? That he would write it off? Paul is making it clear. Philemon, I understand I haven't, your, I haven't heard your side of the story. I've only heard Onesimus. And this is some great mediation skill work here. This is great mediation skill work by the part of Apostle Paul. But he says, I haven't heard your side of the story. Even if I'm unaware of all the charges against Onesimus, even if I'm unaware of every way that he has offended you, and I'm sure there might be more, he says, don't let that stand in the way of his union with you and with the church. He's now a brother in Christ. Walk him through this baggage. Help him, help him walk through this mess. Bear up under it with him. Don't put it on top of him. Onesimus may have brought baggage back with him that would have cost the fellowship time, money, inconvenience, explanation of his presence, all these sorts of things. Paul says, you owe something to me anyway, so charge it to my account. What's going on here in verses 18 and 19? Philemon, between you and me, one of us is going to give Onesimus a fresh start. I'd rather it be you. He reminds him in uh, verse 22, this is his final imperative. He says, prepare me also a lodging. That's kind of a soft, hey, I'm coming to check things out. Between one of us, Onesimus is going to get a fresh start. Philemon, one of us is going to give, be given the opportunity to purchase Onesimus' full pardon. Justice is served when the community of believers bore the weight of Onesimus' crime. Paul was asking Philemon to bear the weight of Onesimus' crime. He was asking the church in Colossae to bear up under the weight of Onesimus' crime. Aren't you thankful that Jesus said 
charge that to my account. I was sitting in a courtroom. I was asked to be there by the attorney. Sitting, a man who was in the room was on a video call from the jail. The no member of his family had shown up. No former employers, no friends, nobody from his former churches. The prosecuting attorney looked at me and said, do you know the list of the charges against this man? Do you know how many rehab programs he has failed out of? The only thing I could think of to say to her was, would you give the church an opportunity to offer him a seat at the table? This man has committed and put his faith in Jesus Christ. Let the church take on this responsibility. Yeah, he's still got time. He's still got time. He still has to serve it. Thankfully, he's still participating in discipleship faithfully. Let the church handle it from here. In conclusion, there's a great cost in comfortably avoiding fellowship with those who might bring baggage into our church. We've got enough stuff we've got to deal with in our own homes. We've got so many things that we're working through. Isn't there enough difficult people in my church already? His relationship with Christ should make any other categorization mute. Former this, former that. Yeah, you've got to have security in place, maybe. You've got to have eyes on, maybe. You know, one of the blessed things about spending this week here with Good News Baptist Church is all the people that I got to talk to who have messy lives and who came from messy backgrounds. That was a blessing to my heart. People who look differently, people who grew up differently, people who talk differently. People who this church I know has had to invest a significant amount of time in ministering to. That is a testimony to the grace of God in our lives. I'll leave any specific application for, for you as you work through this amongst your fellowship of believers. Paul is calling Philemon to surrender his rights. Jesus surrendered his rights. I was going to read Philippians chapter 2, but you know that passage. Let's pray that for us and for our people that that mind, the mind that was in Christ, would be the same mind that is in us. As we deal with those who come to our doors, who have baggage, who have not fulfilled the responsibilities to us, to our society, and as we seek to minister the gospel to them, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I look forward to hearing what we have for us the rest of today. Thank you for this men, these men. Thank you for this fellowship. Help us all as we have to deal with um, those who seem so far 
they seem so far, God. But you, by your grace, have brought them near. May we demonstrate the love of Christ in the way that we serve and love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.